looking back at it right now, and it took me many years to understand it, this is about how we live in in society where labels or things that are traits are considered our flaws. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Thanks to everybody who's joined me here on the podcast, sincerely, and of course to everybody who listens. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, on Facebook or Twitter, at Suicide Noted. There's all kinds of other ways you can get involved, participate, learn more, including our memberships. So have a look in the show notes for all that stuff. And of course, a friendly reminder, if you rate and review this podcast on Apple, it helps people find Suicide Noted. These conversations are in large part to help more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Help us out. Finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast. Probably not a surprise there, and we don't hold back. So we realize it's not a great fit for everybody. So take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Carolina. Uh, I want you to know that during our conversation, Carolina uses the term hypersensitive person once or twice. It is really important, she wants me to let you know, that the term is not hypersensitive person, but in fact, highly sensitive person. They mean two different things, so it's important that you know that. In any case, Carolina lives in Poland, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm good. I still hesitate to use this word to describe uh, my mood, yeah. but uh, I'm getting there. You know. I don't like when people ask me how I'm doing. Somebody just texted me that like an hour ago. How are you? And I just said, don't, I don't, I, I'm weird. Look, I know. I'm going to answer that. What do you, what, yeah, what do you it's it's a small talk also like, but because often people don't really, don't really want to know. What, what the answer is just to start the conversation. But in terms yeah. of really admitting that I, I feel I'm fine, I'm good, still it feels quite strange because, you know, it, it wasn't in my vocabulary for me, like in my case, to to use this word uh, for my mood. For I don't remember since when. So How do you say how are you in Polish? Jak się masz? Co u ciebie? Still don't like it. In Polish, when you when you have birthday, you don't say something like happy birthday, but it goes like all the best. And in my recent experience is like, I, I always uh, use this phrase, I like rephrase it. I say wszystkiego uh, dobrego, which means all the good, all good. Because I feel that right now, good is, is enough. Good is wonderful, really. It's wonderful. You know, what's interesting is this Monday, I have a, an episode coming out. I have They always come out on Mondays. Someone's from Poland. She was the first. You're the second. Yeah. What the hell is happening in Poland? It's not very optimistic in terms of, <laughs> of politics and society going on, but but 
you know, I think it's a, a global struggle. We all grew to to suffer from from emotional uh, distress. There is so much stress around, so many expectations on ourselves. The society believes in this, and people grow up being uh, like conditioned to believe in all those I... things that they are chasing something. And even when they get this thing, they are chasing. They they. They they are stunned that they discover this is not the happiness they they thought they would mm. achieve at this point. Now so, we're just going to talk about you, though, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This is my case, I think, because I also used to uh, consider reality in terms of black or white. Right. There was nothing between, and I think this was also quite instrumental or very crucial in my whole history from the beginning i've been suffering from depression i'm i might say that uh, it's like 25 years it started when i was 10 all right so you're in your mid-30s and are you in warsaw no uh i live in my in my city it's it's a smaller city in the northern east uh, of, of poland it's near the the border uh, with lithuania oh okay lithuania and what about work stuff being self-employed is the only option for now because I, I never work in any other way than uh, remotely, only mm. online, due to my, my illness. And I know it's not an option for me to, to go like daily to work. When you say you have the illness and that's one of the reasons why you, you uh, need to work remotely or have a certain kind of lifestyle, are you talking about depression, mental illness or other things? Depression is was like it triggered very uh, different, different uh, conditions that added infections your immune system suffers autoimmunological like illnesses you know it 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 was also that i consciously chose to mm, destroy my health uh, by food um, mainly i got to the point that my body was uh, i had anemia uh, very low you know iron iron um, levels in my blood and there were like no vitamins and 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 all the things i and i did it like on purpose i knew uh, exactly what was happening in my body and it was my indirect uh, way of progressing towards uh, death i think mm-hmm. mixed with some kind of rebe- rebellion i think I, I was a rebel against the world against the ins- against the environment so my my fight depression was was the first thing and that was when you were about 10 and now yes. you're 35. So do you remember the first time you started contemplating suicide? This is an interesting thing because I can safely say that uh, depression is, is a very serious thing. Like, not that you're so sad or because you are, you can be sad, you know, numerous times in life. It's, it's, it's something obvious. But depression started uh, when I was like 10. I didn't really contemplate suicide like i didn't have any any thoughts of doing anything until i was i think 20 or something like this you know like i had this um this feeling i didn't want to live anymore but i never had this idea any idea that i i could do something about it i just mm-hmm. accepted that oh my god today I, I i wake up another day i have to survive it disappointed uh I woke up getting to bed the, the, the previous night. I was hoping that when I go to sleep, I won't wake up the, the, the other day. What is that called? When you go to sleep and you don't want to wake up, do we call that ideating? What do we call that? You could argue that's not how a healthy person would be thinking or feeling. However, you're defining healthy. That's probably not it. I don't know for sure. 
Does that have a name or uh, does it, it doesn't need a name? I'm just curious because I think it's pretty common, much more so than I jumped off a building and survived. You know, uh, whatever you, you think about suicide attempts or, or anything, it takes a lot of courage. I, yeah. I use this world, uh, this word intentionally because some people argue that this is not courage that you leave, leave all, all the things, all the mess behind and you just sign up the world. Whatever you, you believe in, if you believe there is anything after death or not, or there is another life, this is not important. The key here is that once you're dead, there is no going back to this life you just left. Yeah, it's final. I know, I, I read uh, about it after after my, my actual suicide attempt that there are different types of suicide attempts that there are some like meant to be final. So people are sure they want to kill themselves and there is no doubt about it. But there are also people who are trying to uh, send a message to the environment. Maybe. Sometimes this mm-hmm. is like a cry for help. As as much as I never faint, uh, faint, uh, faint anything like it wasn't uh, like a show, a performance. I think that how the story, how my story of my suicide attempt it looked like, it proves that in my case it was maybe more uh, like like a cry of desperation. Like I don't know what I can do right now about it. It's it's right. too much. How many suicide attempts do you have? Just one. How old were you? I was uh, nearly 22. You said that you started to think about these things more seriously about 20 years old yeah. after suffering for about 10 years. So what happens from 20 when it starts to 22 when you try? This um, very important event that took place was that because of, of all the medications I started taking for depression and so on, I put on uh, a lot of weight. And uh, when I was uh, 19, I was uh, very like clinically severely obese. I, I started looking for some desperate ways to, to fix it. And I found uh, this, this thing about bariatric surgeries. And I qualified for one at a hospital. I had to wait a long line. Uh, it was never ending. And I was young and very impatient. Sure. And so I, I got this surgery in a private hospital. And it didn't turn out well for me because I lost a lot of weight. I, but I regained a lot of it back because I wasn't ready on the psychological point. Plus, I didn't have all the knowledge how to go go uh, with your life after the, the surgery. So I learned uh, to vomit. Like I, I learned to provoke it. I started overusing it. I was a pro and at vomiting. I was in the early stages of bulimia because I used it a lot. I was overeating and I was doing different things to, to harm myself, not only to prevent getting going back to this way, but the, the thing is that at 22, I already, uh, I already knew that this surgery, I considered this solution to all my problems. Yeah. It was the one. So I was uh, sure that I was in the, in the, in the darkest place. I often think one of the things that, uh, at least on this podcast and conversations I have in my life, doesn't come up a lot. The moment or moments in which we have this like hope and then it happens, maybe it's a partner, maybe it's a job, maybe it's weight loss, maybe whatever it is, money, and you're just as fucking miserable. And I think that's really the dangerous part. 
For some reason, I know, of course, a lot of people hold on when they're doing badly and some don't, but there's just this thing about having this hope and sometimes it actually happening and then it not working out or you just can't do it. Like in your case, you just couldn't. You were trying to figure out a way to make that thing become a way to be okay and you just couldn't do it. You were obese, then you had the surgery and then it wasn't going the way you'd planned and you were saying you were eating. Earlier when we were talking, you were saying something about eating in a way to almost kill yourself. Is that what you're talking about? Also as well, yes. Because yeah. after the surgery, my body changed uh, the, dramatically inside the, the way my stomach, this whole tract uh, was is built. It's different. It's re- irreversibly different. Many things that happen in a different way in my body still because of this. I have this um, like tendency to, when I, when I use too much sugar, Mm-hmm. In some 10 minutes, I would go to toilet. It would end like, uh, you know, very dramatically. <laughs> That's a nice way yeah. of saying I started doing things like I, I used uh, sugar in, in, in so much um, like quantities that mm-hmm. I'd use uh, a spoon. I would just open a bag and yeah, yeah, exactly. And I would just pour it because I knew I would end up in toilet uh, and, and I would uh, suffer. I needed this suffering. You're doing it to suffer, okay? Is it, but it's nothing to do with that might help weight loss. No, no, no. I knew it, it it wouldn't help because I I ate so much. I had this uh, this toilet, uh, let's say toilet visits uh, five times daily, yeah, for months. What? And this brought me to this point when I was like my my body was, uh, you know, I didn't have any vitamins. I was uh, yeah. pale. Looking back at it right now, and it took me many years to understand it. This is about how we people um, live in in society where labels or things that are traits are considered our flaws that we should Mm. hide. It's Mm -hmm. like about talking about mental health. You shouldn't even admit, like allow that you you go to a psychiatrist. In my case, I discovered some years ago even that I was a hypersensitive person. And it shows, and and only some some weeks ago, I, I... got to read books uh, about it mm. and it was like it was like a ba- breakthrough for me also because i understood many things that happened to me, happened to me and still happened to me because i experienced world in a very intensive way uh, and i always had this tendency to be very emotional i would cry easily when you say you're hypersensitive there's a suggestion in the wording that it, there's a norm is there a norm or is that just a, a culture obsessed with labels or is there actually a norm? Yeah, you know, there is a very scientific uh, thing to, to prove how it, what is the norm and what, what isn't. I, I read about this. The scientists were trying to, to find evidence to compare uh, this mind of a like normal person and a hypersensitive person. Yeah. yeah? These two people were sitting somewhere and watching i i don't know this was like a film or something and there was a, this emo- emotional scene and their their brains were screened right. and you could see that this hypersensitive person that the, how their mind their brain was working it was like very different it was like explosive they experienced the world very intensively this helped me a lot because i had this like evidence backing yeah. scientific backing but mm-hmm. it is not something like a flaw it is a trait 
Well, you just nailed it right there for sure. Like this idea of a trait versus a flaw, but we go to the flaw because you, that way of being isn't as well aligned with the way most people are essentially forced to, for lack of a better word, conduct their lives nine to five. Don't freak out. That's not okay. And if you're not that, you're weird, you're crazy, you're this, you're that. Maybe we medicate you so that you have a light more, hopefully you feel a little better and you can maybe do that stuff that we're all doing. The point is not everybody fits, but it doesn't make them bad. It doesn't make them flawed. It doesn't make them anything. It just makes them interesting. And we do sometimes celebrate that for sure, but we don't do it enough. So you in hypersensitive world, but you could argue also you aren't probably having places to express yourself in a way that's feels okay. And I'm assuming it was it, it was one of the reasons you're sharing it is it lent itself or you were you're taking us, we know, to a suicide attempt. So I imagine it's part of that conversation. I spent most of my life uh, recluse because mm. uh, at some point um, I isolated from from a society. I didn't leave my my house for like three years. I lived my, with my parents. I didn't need to like to you know to to buy my groceries and so on. From the from my early childhood, my emotional side, uh, my 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 very emotional reactions that were always interpreted like she's weak emotionally. Yeah. You can break her, and I always heard these things like, "Oh, you you shouldn't. We shouldn't tell you this because." You you can take it, and I grew to believe that my emotional being is like it equals being weak. And I learned to to punish myself for for things that were not my my fault, like altogether. Like to give you an example, right now I'm wearing glasses, but it only is it's a fresh thing. Why I just needed to put them on when I was a teenager. Why I didn't get them earlier, as I should, being a teenager, because. I was born with a perfect view, you know, <laughs> I didn't have any issues with seeing anything. But uh, when when the technology started, you know, there were the screens that were far more like harmful than even those we have now. And I spent the, some hours behind the computer when the Internet was available. And I was a kid. I was, you know, stunned and I was I didn't know about what, what it's going to, to bring me. And it broke right, me, you know, that my, my, my side was just getting worse. And then yeah. when I was 14, I learned, I, I asked my biology teacher if there is anything I could do about it. And I don't know if she, if, she, if at the time there were these laser, you know, uh, treatments or anything, but she told me, you can't, you can, you can only wait until you're older, then your, uh, your uh, vision will change because you will need glasses to to see things from closer you know now i need them to to see far away i felt it was the end of the world for me because i felt i destroyed it i was given healthy vision healthy Mm -hmm. sight and i destroyed it so i felt that um the only good solution was i go with this through life suffering not seeing well enough not wearing glasses because i deserve it as silly as foolish as it sounds i believed in this i imagine that applies to other things in your life as well yeah exactly it applied to many many things i i did to myself like self-harming if you think about cutting yourself i've been there done that yes too not Mm. on a very regular basis but with this vomiting it's like i really needed this suffering how you felt after 
finishing vomiting because you were weak. You you felt like you would faint. Mm-hmm. And often I needed to, you know, uh, rest uh, next to the toilet because I didn't have enough strength to stand up and go to bed. And I felt I was exhausted. And this sense of suffering brought me like uh, some kind of relief for a moment because I thought I deserved it. So you're living at home, your early 20s, you're living at home, you're isolating then, right? Yeah. You're uh, struggling with your weight after the surgery. At that point, at that age, people are in college. Maybe they're working. They're with friends. Not everybody, but a lot of people. When you're isolating, you're probably not doing most of those things. So I'm wondering, you're probably aware of what others are doing and that you're not doing, which could suck. And then you have the additional component. Maybe this applies to you. I don't know about the last 10 plus years of thinking back and the pain involved with that of what you might have missed or the opportunities gone. It kind of really sucks. No, the thing is that I I was aware that there was no uh, like social life for me. And I missed this part many years. Like it it didn't happen to me. This is very uh, difficult because it started happening quite later in my life. And when it started, it felt in many ways, it felt like I was still a teenager, like uh, the first love. It only happened once to me, like I fell in love. It was unexpected. It was um, under circumstances where where it will, I struggled a lot because I tried to change my environment. I had many attempts, you know, of these sudden decisions. And I and I applied for a, a short course during summer, a summer school in filmmaking in London. Wow. And I went there and it was a great experience because it was thrilling. It was exciting, but it was a struggle because I had to be among people. Uh, and though they were very friendly, they were different. They were, there were multiple cultures and, and I loved this experience. Mm. It was scary. It was that it still was a big step. And we were, it, this course involved a lot of walking around London, central London, because we were uh, checking out the uh, locations where we would film many, many activities, you know, and I never walked uh, so, so much in my life one day. <laughs> I was, I was happy that I never learned to, to wear heels, you know, high heels. So I didn't have this, this kind of shoes. My shoes was comfortable, but. Anyway, there was also this this uh, first love and only only like falling in love in my life that happened, and it was very unfortunate on every on every possible level. The most obvious one, the, the crucial one, like unfortunate thing, is that it was fully unrequited. It wasn't. It couldn't be returned. You know, if it's not returned, what is it? We call that love. We call that something else. <laughs> I Maybe. don't have any other experience to to compare it. So in my case, I felt this was love because I felt that there was a connection. Quite ironically, like I knew logically, it was one-sided. So it wasn't a connection because connection by by definition requires two sides. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. And being aware of it, I felt like it was another this rejection I faced. It was just another proof to me, like evidence I wasn't enough. So it was like a sign that Go back to your cave and don't try yeah. to. I always wonder about the person or people's last effort to do whatever it is. And then they're like, I think I'm done. It doesn't mean they're killing themselves or trying, but they're done. It, mm-hmm. They just can't keep trying that stuff. So I like the word cave. 
And I actually treat my home probably more than ever in my life, I think, like that. Let's go back to 22, the actual attempt. So what happened on that day? Do you recall? I remember I had a fight with my mom, not a very serious one because we 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 never quarreled, you know, intensively. But I, I don't remember about what exactly, but I remember the, the conclusion. I knew, I already knew that living with a like person with mental health issues was a challenge. Yeah. I knew I could I could observe it. I, I knew. And it was very difficult for them, for my parents. It was obvious. But I, I had this impression that she was so tired of, of my, um, you know, futile attempts to get out of this depression and so on. I felt like maybe perhaps it's better for them to get rid of the burden of me. If I disappear, like uh, I'm not there anymore, maybe it would be easier for them. I felt like maybe this is this time when I should call it the end, you know. What'd you do? I already knew that if I ever do anything, like any suicide attempt at all, I already knew that it would be with pills. Okay. I had a lot of different medications, including quetiapine. It's it's very strong, as I was taking a few pills daily. So I knew how it worked for me with a few of them. I I did my my math, uh, you know, in my mind, and I knew that if I if I took like a handful, like it it would give me a good chance to 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 make it you know maybe kill myself opened a new uh, a new package i remember there were 60 pills in one package i as i opened it i just let them out of of the box of this package not counting them like how much i, I got in my like my handful put them in my mouth and swallow and and, and drink a lot of water and what saved me was I was always a very obedient child. And so minutes after I did it, I just went to my mom and I admitted what I what I had done. And so she, she took me to, to the hospital immediately. And what did they do there? As I remember it, it, it was like a slow motion because when I got there, I felt like the doctors didn't really didn't really care about making it quick. And they were like very bored and, and so tired and and they asked me questions like, so why did you take those pills? What was your intention? And at some point, we got to this, to this room with nurses uh, for gastric. Now, I, I, I think about it as a funny thing because they wanted to put this like big pipe into my, you know, into my mouth to provoke vomiting. <laughs> when I noticed this pipe, I told them, I'm good. I can, I can do it myself without this pipe. I'm really, I really a pro at this. Right, I can right, do it. Right. And, and I can't forget their faces. They were like, what, the, you know, <laughs> what is she talking about? Okay. For a second, they hesitated, but like, okay, what do you need? And I told them what I need, what tools I needed to make it happen. And it happened. Yes. So you got rid of this stuff. So you puked a lot of it out. Did you have to stay in any sort of like mental health facility? Did anyone after that yeah. actively intervene in your mental health care? You know, the, the night uh, afterwards, uh, like when they were sure that I, I was I was fine, that there were no very um, dangerous consequences and right now to, to my attempt, they, they wanted to uh, send me to a psychiatric hospital. Like it was obvious for observation. It, it works like this, but I refused. I knew at that point that I wouldn't do it again because there was one thing I remember. I remember the misery, the tragedy, and 
the dread in the eyes of my parents, especially mm. my mother, when they didn't didn't know, and so I could notice the suffering I I, I create. My 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 general assumption was that as long as they are alive, I won't take direct steps to end my life. So I'm waiting for them to 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 die, and then I am free to decide to kill myself. Mm. But not to this point. I'm like postponing it. Are you in your parents' home now? Or is that your place? Uh, for the first time, I'm on my own. It's like since March. So all that time, including COVID, you're with your folks. Yeah, but there were different instances of my instances of my abrupt attempts to to be on my own, and they always ended up in disasters. Yeah, well, so England in that film school, that wasn't one of those examples. That was something that worked out well. Uh, yeah, but it was a short-term thing. I knew I would be back. Yeah. I had different exper- experiences, like I completed uh, an, uh, a degree, a master's degree in, in London in specialized translation. Wow. But it was a struggle because it was like mostly online, but yeah. only because they agreed to help me. It was a year-long degree and I was there just three months because I had this breakdown that I, I needed to go back to Poland because I couldn't leave my room. There are these this instances, these this moments in life when you see the light in such situations because the university was aware of my mental health issues. They had it, the information. And I was, you know, I asked for help. Like I, I called them like I wasn't able to leave my room. Mm-hmm. So I called them and I told them I couldn't be uh, attending any any lectures like in person because I won't I wouldn't uh, leave my room so it was it wasn't an option so this this woman shocked me because she asked me this this question do you have food do you have all the things you need to go hmm. by because if you don't we can make it happen to to have it delivered to you yeah I was stunned you know because I had this experience in Poland when I did my BA degree hmm. and I struggled. It's an irony in the in the times of COVID, post-COVID, because everything went online. And yeah. I was asking many, many times to make it happen for me, not to transmit the lectures to me, no. But I, I wanted them to just allow me to meet them, to go there only for exams. So I would be learning at home and I wanted to have this right to not attend. Hang on, are you in London or are you in Poland? This thing I'm talking about right now, it was in Poland. And they always refused. And I oh. started started any different degrees, BA degrees, over 10 times. After three months, I would be out because I couldn't attend in person. It was impossible, they told me. Yeah. Not possible to do it this way. And then, you know, COVID happened some years later and I was like, really? So you're alive. <laughs> yeah. How did you find the podcast? I've been searching for a way to share my story lately because many things changed in the recent months for me and I wanted to share it. And I felt like I had this um, blog post um, from my psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. He put it on his Facebook feed about some about something about suicide. And then I found a podcast, a similar podcast in Polish, but it wasn't updated. It was long that it was abandoned. And I felt like it would be so... So exciting to to find uh, something in, like this in English, and so I, I searched. I, I felt I read those reviews. Yeah, that this this helps them, and this is what I was looking for. Very glad you found it. You're here. Do you think at 35 years old, do you think you'll be alive at 40 years old? 
hope so. You know, right now, I just know that I am lucky to be alive. Another suicide attempt, like uh, intentional, conscious, and so on, is not is not an option for me. So you're not thinking about it often? I'm not uh, contemplating anything like any suicide in my future. It's not, it's not in the program right now. Wow. All right. Did something yeah. big change in your life that you're in this different yeah. space other than living alone, which might be a big thing? I don't know. Living alone is a consequence of, of this change. Basically, oh. it's like I had a tremendous help from a new psychiatrist who, who attempted a thing that was like a very bold from his, his part because it was far easier for all the others in the past to, to leave the things as, as they were because I am this case of a treatment-resistant patient. Right, right, right. Different treatment in history, every possible drug, I think. So I was um, a medical... Mystery. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and it was not, not very comfortable to do anything about it. And my uh, psychotherapist, he, he, at some point when I was, I, I admitted that I was searching these uh, clinics where you could, you could undergo uh, euthanasia, I know, you know, to kill yourself. And, mm-hmm. and I couldn't afford it. And I was like talking about these things all the time. And he, he told me something I won't forget uh, ever. He told me that he fully understood that there were instances in life, like he respected this freedom of choice. But this is only because people suffer from illnesses. There is nothing you can do about it. But he told me, but I refuse to accept that you are among such people. And he really fought for me, you know, because mm. I, I I ceased our sessions. I tried to back out from any, everything. And he and he insisted and he, he suggested th- to try the new doctor and he fought for me. And now here you are living in this place, which I can see, I can see yeah. your window and your part of your kitchen, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's a little sun where you are based on what I see in the window today, yeah. even though it's seven o'clock, probably. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. It is. Who's behind your left shoulder? This is a scratching pub because I have a cat. Oh. I am a proud mother. <laughs> so wait, you have how many siblings do you have? I have just one sister. She's six years older. And is she, quote unquote, a little more not? Yeah, she has a different different type of struggle. She's like, she's harsh, you know. She's a total opposite to me. Like, I'm this emotional thing. Uh, cuddling uh, is, my, is my thing. I always wanted kisses, cuddling, and so on. And she was like, fr- from the beginning, when she was born, she was like, don't touch me, mom. Dad. Okay. Don't hug me. And, so, and she, she never understood how could I want this. She often like assumed that I was asking for this to to make them believe that I I was this super girl they they needed and to uh, make them get me some things. So, so when when I think Americans, maybe North America, United States of Americans, think of former countries, countries that used to belong to the uh, part were part of the Soviet Union. Yeah, our image of those people tends to be how you described your sister. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. So, anyhow, do you still see a therapist? Yes, yes, but only we only see each other online. Any meds? Uh, yeah, just one, one med, one medication just left, and it's a great progress because I these all these twenty years, it was like not less than four. It and- was a long way. It was a long struggle because, especially getting off one specific, was tricky. I know it would be because I tried to replace it in the past and it it proved it turned out i had two months of sleepless nights 
even in the in the end of um, last days of December last year, getting off this this medication, this uh, like it was one of the last from from all those, the most challenging one. Three days after I was like totally off, I started experiencing these effects of you know getting off it. That it was out of my system, and I was struggling a lot. I was shaken, you know. I I even called uh, the helpline for adults who considered suicide. As much as I wasn't planning any suicide, I knew that I was so shaken I could act on an impulse. So if I if I uh, saw uh, like a knife nearby. I would be able to use it like without without um, more uh, you know thinking. So I was so shaken at this point, and this this call didn't really help me, but it didn't make things worse. And my psychiatrist just told me, as much as it it is not going to help you right now, you have to survive this because this is how it works when you get off medical things like. They are out of your system. I got I got another very mild uh, medication right then to make me uh, fall asleep, you know. And I slept over this period, and it helped. And then I got off this thing that helped me fall asleep, and and now I'm I'm just on one anti antidepressant. It works great. And did you ever get a diagnosis? You think is correct? A different diagnosis. It was like I had this uh, diagnosis of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder too. It was there after after my uh, suicide attempt. I not not just uh, after the night after, but at some point I got to the psychiatric hospital. I um, had this like uh, stays many times in my life. But very, very short period of time, two days, not more. It's like I always, I was always discharged because I, I couldn't stand being among people, too many people, uh, strangers. I had this, uh, when I was like over 22 after my suicide attempt, I had this, um, test, psychological test, and they, their diagnosis was that I had this mixed personality disorder and that I had every possible disorder, um, excluding narcissistic. Every every other like disorder personality disorder was there, so it was a turbulent mix. So so these these were all these things that were were there, but basically major depressive dis- disorder. It was like this is depression. But you know, right now I can I can say very consciously that I am a survivor, but not because I I am this badass who doesn't care. No, because I accept my. Uh, weaknesses and my who i am yeah the way my mind works the way i react the way i respond yeah and i i try not to beat myself up for things that i don't have control over like i'm contemplating things or people uh from the past they 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 come back to my mind and i and i'm like oh what what why am i thinking about this or this these people and now i'm like okay this happens maybe th- this will pass maybe not it it is there in my in my mind and i can't and beating myself up about these these things coming back to my mind won't help it it won't make it disappear or or, or cease so yeah. i'm just accepting what's happening i'm trying to solve the problem go as a to live you know i really learned to appreciate my uh, now what i what i do have and i enjoy it how many people know we're talking? Uh, right now, I think five. How do you feel about your body? It's a progress there, but I can't say I am okay with, with my body right now. Because obviously, I'm still on my way to the healthy, you know, 
state of my body. From from December, I lost uh, some weight, significant amount of weight, uh, considering my my past. Because for twenty years, I I couldn't do it like consciously diet or anything for half a day. It wouldn't happen to me. I would uh, break any any plan uh, by 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 the noon or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe in any diets. The the the, the, the best thing that happened to me is that. I'm not on any diet. I, I never, in fact, I never ate as much and what I really wanted. I ate everything. I am choosing, I, I'm not suffering. I'm mentally enjoying moment, including eating. How often do you leave your house? Even now, you know, I started to leave my house like uh, the place I live in to, to do groceries, daily things. Yeah. And I do it on a regular basis. And it's a big step because even when I started leaving house, like I, I did my made my degree and so on, I didn't uh, do groceries. There were just things that were done for me. I didn't need to. And now I'm intentionally trying to do those mundane things that you need to do daily to, to live your life. And it yeah. is a struggle because it, it will take years to erased or undo some some things some strategies i learned to to live by through years being being a, like a victim of bullying of years of bullying i developed some strategies to live through the experience one of them is like i avoided being outside of of house of the house i lived in because sure, sure. i always feared conflicts when i leave my my flat right now I to 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 get to the groceries. I need to pass zebra crossing, you know, and there is no like traffic lights. So I I often fear the moment when the car has to stop to let me go through the zebra crossing because I fear that they are in a hurry and they are rushing. And there is this person who who made makes them uh, stop their car. So it's a like an obstacle. The the point is that it might end up in uh, some kind of assault and i never feared like aggression physical aggression i just feared being you know uh called fat in fact in my mind it is like whenever i leave my my flat i'm in this hyper vigilant state of being prepared for anything that might happen in terms of conflict i am avoiding it i'm preparing for it and i can already see the pattern is like over preparing it's too much it's yeah. not healthy but mm -hmm. I I accepted that it must take time to normalize my uh, re reactions and avoiding challenges. Avoiding challenges won't do a thing. In right. fact, I learned that whenever I faced these challenges recently, that were like I thought that my life would you know go back instantly to 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 where I've been <laughs> in the past. Like I would be back to my my parents' house, I would be dependent again of, of everyone else. The challenge proved me that I survived it mm -hmm. and I had the power. Fantastic. Hmm. How many people do you have in your life to talk to? Not too many. Mm -hmm. Maybe five. I have this one person that is my best friend. Mm -hmm. It is very like unlikely uh, friendship because I didn't believe it might happen. In fact... I met him during this course in, in London, filmmaking course. To make it more interesting, he was my mentor. 
He's a very uh, prolific filmmaker with many awards on his under his belt. Like the the most interesting part is he's five, almost fifty five years older than I am. Mm-hmm. So he's nearly ninety right now. We we you know we we share this bond right now. It's like between mentorship and and friend and some kind of counselor. But we are both aware that he's not a psychotherapist or anything. But he's helping me right now to edit my film. I I couldn't deliver as 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 we as we agreed on deadlines because I had this you know emotional distress and so on. So I couldn't like. At some point, I felt it was fair to explain why it happens. It commenced this whole friendship we have right now. I, I think it's safe to, to say that because of him, because of the timing right now, I really needed this kind of person in my life right now to, to keep on this course, not to go back to what, where I've been, because it was a very scary thing to live on my own and so on. But I believe in guardian angels. To me, this person... With all he he has been given to me, like and remotely, you know, we are talking uh, only on phone. We are exchanging messages and so on. But it's it's such a great thing to have such a friendship. Another thing is that some some time ago I could I could return the favor by supporting him when he had a hard very hard time, and it felt exciting and thrilling to to know that you help. The moment we started our conversation, I could hear his voice. And when we stopped, I could hear it as well. And I could, I could hear the hope is back there. And this was the, the greatest, you know, prize you could earn. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. How many people know that you tried to end your life at 22 years old? I don't know how many, but I never made uh, like um, a secret out of it. I'm, but I, I think it's most like mostly. Mm, medical staff people. I remember, for example, that when I revealed my mental health illness to a academic teacher, he told me, "You, you'd better not reveal that you have anything like this because it's, yeah. it's better this way." So, yeah. so I know how how this feels, but I never really had trouble admitting this happened. This is my experience, and right now I'm treating it like it's a resource I have in my toolbox. What's one thing, if anything, that helps you feel a little better? I'm really accepting my uh, my weaknesses and and my and I'm trying to appreciate my strength. I'm learning. Is there one in particular one myth around any of this stuff? Don't feel you have to fit in. Like I think that we in the beginning we discussed that people think about those so-called norms that you have to belong to. It's false because think about it this way. If all the people in the world were so alike, it would be such a boring world. You're being different. This is not a flaw. This is individual, beautiful thing about you. You being you, there is no person that ever has been exactly the same as you are right now. And there will never be one. You're unique and you should cherish it. You Be proud of who you are, really. It's, it's, it sounds very like a cliche, but... I used to be like in this place when I felt this is a cliche. And I am this lucky person who, though after all these years, it happened to me that I felt it inside, that it it is there. So I am lucky that it happened to me because I know that there are so many people that won't experience this feeling in their life ever. Now, if you've ever heard the podcast, and I think you have, you know that I like to talk about book titles, but yeah. because you did some film work, the question, and it is my final question, is 
what is your, not the film you're working on, though I am curious about that. What is the Carolina film's title? The ironic thing about this, this film I'm working on, it's, it's a coincidence, but it fits. What is it? By chance, The Awakening. The yeah. Awakening. How do you say that in Polish? Przebudzenie. Yeah, it applies to my, last, to my last, like, uh, last eight months of life. I hope things continue to go for you the way they've been. The Awakening. <laughs> yeah. We do the best yeah. we can. Yeah. All right, uh, Miss uh, Karolina in Poland. Thanks again. Bye. Thank Take you. Care. Ciao. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Karolina over in Poland. Thanks, Karolina. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Take a moment, if you would, and rate and review us on Apple. It helps people find the Suicide Noted podcast, and we want more people to find it, especially if it helps them feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Thanks very much for that. And that is all for episode number 179. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.